We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to also be in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read it first, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 13. We, uh, of course, had a guest missionary last week, but a couple weeks ago we were looking at pastors and deacons. And today we'll look at another name, another word, another phrase, or another office in the Bible. So Acts chapter 13, and uh, and I said office, that's not exactly correct, but an, another title, I guess. And uh, Acts 13, and then Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, verse number, uh, I think it's 11, I'll start there, but Ephesians chapter 4, thank you, and verse number 11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets. And I explained how that apostles and prophets aren't alive today, but we have the writings of the apostles and prophets in the Holy Scripture. And some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so that's God's gift to his church, his local church. They have the apostles and prophets, of course, in the New Testament the apostles wrote, the Old Testament prophets wrote. We have them today, even though they're not living any longer, the apostles and prophets, and some evangelists. And why is evangelists listed first? We'll explain that in a minute. Some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And what is that about? So today we'll look at the evangelists. We'll look at what is that about. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 13. We'll go there and we'll talk about the church at Antioch's first evangelists in Acts 13 and verse 1 now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they sent them away so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. All right, so we're going to look at that today. The church at Antioch. And the church at Antioch uh, was a very special church. It actually became, I think, greater or more stronger, more effective than even the church at Jerusalem. There's a reason for that. Uh, but first of all, the church at Antioch. Uh, it was here that we have our story in chapter 13, verse 1. But you go back to chapter 11, and you see that they were called Christians first, the whole, the whole term Christian. And, of course, Christian is misused today. Uh, people call themselves Christians, and they're not Christians. But the whole idea of a Christian was like Christ or little Christ, or, you know, like, like Christ himself. And so they were called these Christians, and that's where the phrase, the, the, the world called them that. The world would say, who are these Christian people, these Christians? And uh, they kind of meant it as a derogatory term, but it was truly a, a blessing to be called a Christian. And uh, this church uh, was known for that. It was started and organized with the help of Barnabas and Saul. And uh, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Do we have any more handouts, Dallas? Because Ernie's here if you want to give him one. Uh, and if not, we can make a copy of it. Great. Um, and so you see Antioch is mentioned here. Now, what, what was the scattering? The persecution of Stephen. What happened there? Well, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, I'll take the extras if you got any extras. Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned to death for preaching. Stephen preached such a good sermon. He was stoned. What was Stephen? Was Stephen an evangelist? 
Well, kind of, but what was he officially? What had he been elected to be? He was a deacon. So Stephen, as a deacon, preached in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 6, he was elected as one of the deacons. Acts chapter 7, he preaches. He makes a whole bunch of people mad. They stone him to death. And that rose, or turned into persecution, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was one of these men who stood there and held all the coats while they killed him and, and crushed him with rocks. And so after the persecution, Christianity was not very welcome in Jerusalem. So they scattered. They traveled. They spread out. And so they, they ended up in Cyprus and Cyrene and Antioch, and they preached uh, to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, this is unusual because before it was only to the Jews. But the Bible says that God wanted not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles to hear the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Jesus said. So the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And so Antioch is north of, of Israel. It's in what we call Syria, right along the coast. You can see it on your Bible map, and you can look at that in a minute if you want. But Antioch became the hub. It became a very blossoming location. So verse 22, then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. There was still a church in Jerusalem, but it was, it was much smaller because of the scattering. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad he saw God saving not just Jews, but Gentiles also, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, because Saul had gotten saved in the meantime. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Saul tried to go to Jerusalem, and they're like, uh-uh, we don't trust you. And so Barnabas risked his neck to go find this Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, but now had gotten saved. And instead of taking him to Jerusalem, where they were having a hard time with Saul, not really sure if they could trust him, he brought him to Antioch. And it says in verse 26, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled, that's what church is, assembly, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So the church was started and organized with the help of Barnabas and, and then even Saul. And Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas was helping Saul and the church at the same time. And Saul was gaining confidence and, and acceptance and it was all a good thing. And lots of good things were happening in Antioch. So the church in Antioch became a great missions-minded church. And because of that, we get to chapter 13 where they are praying about the world and the need of the world. Hey, we are enjoying the blessings of God in Antioch. We are seeing people saved, and the, the gospel is spreading all over Antioch. But what about the rest of the world? Didn't Jesus say, go into all the world? And so it says there in verse 1 there were of chapter 13, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, but it wasn't just Barnabas and Saul. You had Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaeum, which had been brought up with, the Her with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so these were men in the church that were leaders. They were teachers and leaders uh, in their community, in their church. And uh, they, were, they were the pastors and teachers. And these local church leaders, these men, were very different in their backgrounds and their ethnicities. I think some might have been Greek. Some obviously were Jewish. But we see here that it says Barnabas. We know he was from Cyprus. He was a Jew from the island of Cyprus out in the Mediterranean. Then you have Simeon, Simeon that was called Niger. Now, I can't say positively, but 
the fact that he was called Niger gives me the impression that he probably had black skin. Uh, and then Lucius of Cyrene. Well, Lucius of Cyrene. It's interesting that Simeon, that was called Nitrus, Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. I wonder if both Simeon and Lucius were from Cyrene. Because, you know, in Matthew 27, they grabbed a guy to carry the cross of Jesus, and he was Simeon, Simon from Cyrene. Maybe it's the same, I don't know. Anyway, Cyrene is Libya. All right, so these people that got saved, remember in Acts chapter 2, they, they, were, they were in Jerusalem, but they were from all parts of the area, and they came to Jerusalem, and when Peter preached, they all heard in their own tongue. Uh, and so the, the salvations were spreading, and so these people were not just from Jerusalem originally. And then Menaean, this is an interesting background. Menaean, it says, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod was one of the kings. Herod was one of the rulers. And Menaean, who apparently had been like a stepbrother or something, was raised with Herod. And so you talk about a different course of paths. You talk about a different branch. I mean, Herod goes off to be, you know, one of the Herods, and Menaean gets saved. What, what an interesting backstory all that is. And then, of course, Saul. Saul used to be the Pharisee, the persecutor of the church. So you talk about an interesting hodgepodge of, of men here that God had saved and were now using as leaders in the church. And so we see the different backgrounds. We see the ethnicities. They're not all of the same cloth, you might say. So that's the church at Antioch, letter B. Letter B, the calling of Barnabas and Saul. The calling of Barnabas and Saul. Now notice, they were already active in ministry. Look at, again, chapter 11, verse 26. It says that Barnabas and Saul assembled with the church and taught them. See, once Saul got saved, he was one of the great teachers because Saul understood the Old Testament. He just didn't realize who Jesus was. But once Saul got saved, Saul could plug all that information into the right Jesus, into the right gospel, into the right Christ. And Saul and Barnabas became teachers of the church. They were already ministering. They were already teaching. Then chapter 12, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John who served. So these guys had already had some ministry going on in chapter 12. They were going back and forth between Antioch and Jerusalem and fulfilling their ministry and taking care of things. So the point is, is they were active. These men were active in their church. They weren't just sitting around, hey, you're not doing anything. Why don't you be a pastor? No, that's not how it's supposed to work. Why don't you be an evangelist? That's not how it's supposed to work. And number two, it was a definite call from God. It was a definite call from God. How do I know that? Well, it says in verse 2, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Now go with me to a couple other places. Go to John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief cometh not, Jesus said, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. See, a shepherd or a pastor is to have a job that comes from God, and it doesn't matter if it gets rough or tough or gets, uh, you know, scary. <clears throat> like David with his sheep, he killed a lion and a bear. I ain't never killed a lion and a bear, and I hope I never have to. But he killed a lion and a bear to protect some sheep. 
and I've said it before, I think humanly speaking, I think I'd be like, oh, I don't know that sheep are worth getting my flesh torn off by a bear. I mean, grizzly bears scare me. I don't know about you. But a hireling doesn't run because a hireling says, no, no, I know who called me, and I'm not just hired by some man to be a priest or a pastor. This is God's calling for me, and I'm going to stick it out. And if you'll read, you'll find in the book of Acts that Paul was stoned almost to death. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. Barnabas and and, uh, Paul together and and, uh, Paul and Silas, they were in the prison together. I mean, there was lots of torture and lots of persecution for being God's minister. Notice with me also Amos chapter 7. You go to the Old Testament, speaking of, of shepherds, Amos, that's not a book we go to very often. It's towards the end of the Bible, end of the New Testament or Old Testament, Amos chapter 6, Amos chapter 7, I'm sorry, Amos chapter 7 and verse number 14. So towards the end of the Old Testament, Amos 7, verse 14, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. I wasn't the son of a prophet, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. That's what I was. And verse 15, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. Amos said, I had a calling from God. I had a job already. I had a vocation. I was a shepherd. I think maybe God called Amos partially because he understood what shepherding was going to be about. But anyhow, Amos was called of God and he was sent by God to preach. And then in Acts chapter 20, speaking of shepherds, we go back to Acts and we look at Acts chapter 20 and we see in Acts 20, and verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You see that shepherding term in there when it says flock. The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, not man. Men did not say, we want to hire you, or men did not just say, okay, we're going to select you to be such and such. But God made him the overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock and also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things and so be careful and be aware but the point is this is that it was God that called them it was the Holy Ghost God's Spirit that called them into ministry it was that called them to this specific ministry that we see in chapter 13 not all of them were supposed to do this but God wanted Barnabas and Saul to do what they were going to do in Acts chapter 13 all right number three it was also a call from out of God's churches. It was also a call from out of God's churches. Where were they when this happened? When they were praying together, they were in the church in Antioch. They were already part of the church. And then the church recognized the calling as well. Uh, remember, Stephen uh, was a deacon, we said. He was called of God to be a deacon, but he was also selected by the church. Philip also. Philip became an evangelist, but Philip was a deacon. And the church selected him. So when God's in it, then the church can get behind it. And so they're called from God. They're also called out from the churches. And notice in in verse number four of this point here, this church, as I've already said, was a mission-minded church. If you've got a map in your Bible... Some of you have maps in the back of your Bible. If you have one of those colored maps in the back of your Bible, you'll find different maps, and one of them probably will say Paul's Missionary Journeys. Usually, if you have maps in your Bible, it's going to have that because it has a lot to do with what basically the whole history of the New Testament. 
And so Paul's missionary journeys. And what you'll notice if you pay attention and you can see, it's a little bit fine print, but if you can see those arrows that go out and come back, the hub, the main hub of most of the missionary journeys were was Antioch. Does anybody have a map in your Bible? Can you see that? So Antioch was the hub. Jerusalem, of course, is where everything started, but Jerusalem, because of all the persecution and opposition, Antioch became a much safer, easier place to be the hub. And so what you see here is that this church in Antioch was like the hub, the dispatch of all the missions that were happening, not all, but a lot of the missions that were happening at that time. And then notice in Acts chapter 13, notice what they're doing. They're fasting and praying. The whole purpose of this meeting, these men that got together, is that they were fasting and praying for God to show them what to do next. I think there was a burden for missions and a burden for what should we do. God's given us what we have, but what should we do? We need to figure out what God wants. So fasting and prayer. They were fasting and praying. They weren't fasting and praying about you know, let's build a, a, a new building with a gymnasium. No, they were fasting and praying about what does God want us to do? And he showed them, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. So although, although valuable to the church in Antioch, I mean, we already saw chapter 11, verse 26, that Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul, taught the church for a whole year. What an awesome thing to be taught by Barnabas and Saul. That must have been great teaching, awesome teaching. <clears throat> they taught for a whole year. They were valuable to the church in Antioch. And yet God said, separate them and send them out. No, not Barnabas and Saul. Send Simeon and Manan. I don't like Manan. Send him. No, Barnabas and Saul. Maybe they're two top quality ones. I don't know. <clears throat> but send Barnabas and Saul. And so even though they were already doing something in the church and they were valuable, God wanted them to be sent out and to go out and they, and they, they obeyed that calling. And again, I've already alluded to this, but number five, God calls active Christians. God calls active Christians. If you aren't already doing something, don't expect God to call you. I mentioned David with the sheep. Why did David get anointed king of Israel? Because David was faithful to his his father's sheep. His father said, you watch these sheep and everybody else gets to go have fun and play in the army and do stuff like that. And David gets to wash sheep. But you know what? God was watching David. God calls active Christians who are faithfully doing their job. You've got Joshua with Moses. Joshua was Moses' assistant. When Moses went up into Mount Sinai, Joshua was with him. Wherever you see Moses, Joshua was his servant. So it's not, it's not too big of a shock to see God call Joshua. After the days of Moses, you then have Joshua in the book of Joshua. You have Joshua uh, taking over for Moses after Moses passed on. And so you have David with the sheep. You have Joshua with Moses. If you're with us in Anchor Club, on Wednesday afternoon, we've been teaching on Elijah and Elisha. And what happened is, is that Elisha was following Elijah. And then God called Elijah home in a whirlwind of fire, in a chariot of fire. And Elisha grabbed his mantle and became the next prophet. And so Elisha took over for Elijah. The Bible says that Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah. What does that mean? He was his minister. He, he just took care. He assisted him and he took care of the things that Elijah needed. And by being that assistant and being that minister, he was then able to be the next prophet when that leader passed on. Then in the New Testament, you have Timothy with Paul. Saul became Paul. And just like Barnabas brought Saul along, 
Then Saul, who became Paul, found a son in the faith, an adopted son named Timothy, and started to bring him along. And Timothy is regarded as Paul's minister, but then became Paul's messenger. Look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 22. Acts 19, 22. So verse 21, Acts 19, 21 and 22. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must also see Rome so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him and one of them's name was Timotheus all right so Timothy was a minister to Paul uh, and notice he sent him to to on his behalf he himself stayed in asia for a season but he sent timothy and erastus in his place now go with me to second timothy second timothy chapter number three and paul says this about timothy second timothy chapter number three and verse 10 he says he's writing to timothy that's why it's called the book is called timothy and here's what Paul reminds him of. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine because you hung around me all the time, because you were my minister, you know exactly what I taught. You know exactly the doctrine that I taught people. My manner of life, you, you saw how I lived. My purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, my love, my patience. Verse 11, the persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Timothy had a great education because he traveled with Paul, he, he ministered to Paul, and he got to see it all. He got to see everything that Paul was doing. Timothy was right there. Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but Paul did call him my son in the faith my kind of adopted son. And Tim Timothy was kind of taken along under his wing and Timothy ministered to Paul. He said, well, that's kind of a cushy, Paul. You get yourself a minister. Hey, I'm not just getting ministered to. I'm ministering to him. I'm teaching him some things and he's ministering to me, but I'm showing him some things that he needs to understand. I mentioned before, because I actually taught this, I actually taught this on a Sunday night back in August of, I think it was August 13th. I mentioned how that Brother Bill, we know him as, the evangelist who does vacation Bible school. He doesn't just do vacation Bible school. He goes to India. He goes to South Africa. He goes to different places, Ecuador, and he preaches and he evangelizes. But there was a time when Brother Bill was much younger that he ministered to an evangelist named Joe Boyd. And Joe Boyd was who Brother Bill served, and he served him and traveled with him and learned things and understood a lot of things and gained wisdom. And how many of you are, are blessed with the ministry of Brother Bill? Well, yeah, I think all of us are. But Brother Bill had to learn ministry from another minister, see? And that's, that's how it goes. <clears throat> so Timothy was that minister to Paul, and he saw the persecutions, not just the fun times, but also the, the rough times. But he was also a messenger, as I said earlier. Go back to 1 Thessalonians, back up a few pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, when you would, could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. We couldn't come, so we stayed in Athens. That's Greece. 
Verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So Timothy's been my minister, but now I'm going to send him as my messenger. I'm going to send him to help you and encourage you and assist you. He's been with me a long time, and he knows what to say. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, it's, again, Paul writing to Timothy in the first couple of verses he's writing to Timothy and then in verse 3 it says and I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies so Paul said I want to send you I want, to, I want you to stay at Ephesus and I want you to teach the people at Ephesus what they need to know Timothy became the pastor in Ephesus Timothy was the pastor. He was the leader in Ephesus. He was Paul's minister, but now Paul's sending him out as a messenger to Ephesus. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, this is what Paul says to Timothy also. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing Timothy growing up and serving And now we're seeing Timothy transitioning from just serving the minister to being the messenger and ministering to others. That's how it works. We saw how that Barnabas brought along Saul. Now Saul's bringing along Timothy. That's how it works, the calling. Number six, we go back to Acts 13, and we have those list of men, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean. Any of these active local church leaders in Acts chapter 13 would have been qualified. They were all good men. But God specifically called Saul and Barnabas. That's who he wanted for this special mission. That's why we call it the missionary journeys. It's not that Lucian or Menaean or Simeon weren't good men. They all were good men. They were fasting and praying. But God wanted some to stay home at home base. And he wanted some to go out. And he chose Barnabas and Saul to be the ones to go out. All right, so that leads us to the third main point, letter C on the back of your page, the sending, the sending. So back there in Acts chapter 13, we've seen the calling. We've seen the church and what kind of a church it was. And now we're seeing the sending in Acts chapter 13 and verse number three and four, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed. And that's why there's a map with all kinds of arrows on it and and directions because that's what this is about. What you'll notice if you read the Bible, and a lot of people don't read the Bible, but if you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, evangelism and evangelists were centered around God's local churches. Today we have something that's not biblical. We have something called parachurch organizations. There are Christian radio ministries that have no local church connection. Um, There are parachurch. Para means alongside, but not under a local church. When you get out from under a local church, you're doing something that the Bible doesn't, doesn't really endorse. Evangelism and evangelists were underneath a local church. In other words, Paul and Barnabas were sent out, but they still had a home church, Antioch. They still had leaders that they answer to in fact that's why they came back that's why the map has a complete circle because they would come back and report what had happened on their journey a missionary is not really a bible term 
But the term in the Bible is evangelist, evangelizing, preaching the gospel, starting new churches, going to new territory and evangelizing and and mainly focused on the evangelism of the community. And that missionary is sent out by a local church somewhere else. Brother Bill, I've used him as an example because we're familiar with him. Brother Bill has a local church in Ohio. Brother Bill answers to that local church. That's his local church. And I'm very comfortable with that because that's how it should be. In fact, all of our missionaries, our evangelists, all of our missionaries that we support on a monthly basis should have a local church that they answer to. One of our missionaries is a single lady. That's very unusual. I don't think it's wrong, but it's unusual. She can't start a church, obviously, and become a pastor, but she can certainly be an assistant and help a church, and, and, and this particular one does. And so when there was some trouble with, not her, but with some of the others in the ministry where she was at, I called her pastor in Wisconsin, and I said, hey, are you on top of this? Are you monitoring? He said, I am. Good. That's all I want to know. And that's the way it's supposed to work, see? Where do you get evangelists and pastors and teachers? You don't, you don't go to the evangelist store. And I don't re- recommend going to the college unless it's a Bible-believing local church-minded college. You've heard of college-educated idiots. I mean, I, I, I think we've somehow we've solved this line that if they've had a four-year degree and they've studied for four years in a classroom, that they are ready for real life. We know that's not how it works in the rest of the world. You know, the college-educated idiots don't necessarily know what they're talking about. Someone keeps saying that electric cars are the way to go, but I'm still not convinced. Even though it looks good on paper, it doesn't seem to look good on the road. And so what do you want? I think, I think Bible study is good, but I think active training, on-the-job training, you know, with Paul getting stoned sometime, getting, getting thrown in prison sometime, and, and yet then having some great meetings sometime and seeing, seeing it what it really looks like. So evangelists, missionaries, are sent out by their church. They're sent out by God, but humanly speaking, they're sent by, by the church. And number two, evangelists work as an extension of their sending church. That's why it says in verse 3, they laid their hands on them. That's, that's the whole idea of laying hands on. We're saying, you are an extension of us. We probably will never go to Columbia, you and I. But, but as we can support a missionary who was sent out by a church in Mexico to go to Columbia, what an awesome thing that we kind of have the opportunity as an extension. But when you have a homegrown missionary, a homegrown evangelist, that's even more special because, man, we know them. They grew up with us, and, now we're, and, and we're laying our hands on them, and we're sending them out. See, the laying on of hands signifies identification. Here in the church in Antioch, they identified, the church at Antioch identified itself with Barnabas and Saul's work. They were saying, we are identifying with what you're doing. A couple of verses, you can look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Then in chapter 5, verse 22, notice what it says here. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. In other words, don't be quick to lay hands on people. It's something you need to pray about and take seriously. Second Timothy chapter 1, and verse 6. 
Paul says to Timothy, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now I think the the symbolic putting hands on someone praying over them is more symbolic than the actual just just handling them every day and, and working with them and they getting the the education and the wisdom from being in ministry. But that's what that symbolizes, identifying with them. We're identifying with them. So they're an extension of their home church. And what would Barnabas and Saul then do? They would preach the gospel and they would baptize those that got saved. Wait a minute, but, but they're way out of town. Don't they need to come back to our local church and use our tank? Well, first of all, they don't even use the, need to use a building, let alone tank. But no, because why? Barnabas and Saul were an extension of Antioch. And so Barnabas and Saul, when they started seeing people get saved in Ephesus and they started seeing people get saved in the churches in Galatia, they could baptize them as being sent out from Antioch. They could, they could see people saved, they could baptize. But again, we see people that get baptized and there's nobody's, no church authority over them. It's not right. And they could form new churches. Once people were saved and baptized, they could help them start a local church, ordain elders in that town to be the pastor of that church, and then they'd move on to the next town with the authority of their local church. By the way, if you go back to Acts chapter 11, verse 22 through 26, we already read it. That's exactly what Jerusalem did. Jerusalem sent Barnabas up to Antioch, and Antioch, and Antioch was having revival. And so all of a sudden, Jerusalem you know, sent Barnabas, and Barnabas said, hey, I'm going to establish a church here. And he helped them, and he brought Saul in. And for a whole year, they just started teaching until that church got established. That's exactly what the Jerusalem church, that's why the Antioch church existed, because the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas. So evangelists or missionaries, as we call them today, are men who hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're people who, who at times have lots of trials and tribulations because they're on the road and they're, they're doing what they're doing not for the sake of, of ease or making money, but because they're wanting to send the gospel around the world. And so that's what they're to be. Not every missionary has the same location, the same field, but they all have their challenges. And verse 25, 26 of Acts 15 says they hazarded their lives. And then number four, evangelists or missionaries, as we call them today, are supported by their sending church. We have 44 missionaries right now that we support, we help to support, but they truly have a different sending church. They have a home church. Their home church is really, their, that, that's their responsibility. We're just cooperating or, or partnering with them and teaming up with them to help support them, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they don't answer to this church. However, we have recently ordained someone who has grown up into this church and is called to be an evangelist and wants to be an evangelist and has already got at least one meeting next summer to be an evangelist. Who's supposed to support him? What if a missionary says, I want to go to China and I do believe God's called me to China and we all say, or every church in America says, that sounds good. Once you get to China, we'll start supporting you. Do you think he's going to get there? Probably not. So what if we start supporting that guy going to China and then he's got 30%? Hey, how come you're not in China yet? Well, I've got 30% of what I need you got 40%. You got 60%. Hey, how come you're not in China yet? Well, <laughs> I'm still raising the support to get to China. So should we wait till they get to China? But, or should we say, hey, we believe God has called you and we want to help you. And we recognize that you're not going to be able to go tomorrow. How are we going to do this? 
we have to recognize the need. Now, I think in a lot of ways it was a lot simpler back then. You got two guys, send them out, and they're living by faith and they're on the, on the trail. And God sends them out through his church. But I do believe, and I know for a fact, because you can read in the Bible places where they didn't just pray for them, they supported them. So both with our prayers and our giving, churches are to hold the rope for those who are going down into the pits of sin and darkness to rescue the perishing. You're, you're down there in the pit, and you need someone to just hold the rope so you can come out once in a while so that you're not getting swallowed up. And so you've got rope holders that are holding the rope while they're out there on the front line. Churches help supply the means financially and the power through prayer, and the church becomes fellow helpers to the truth, as the Bible says. They are helping those who are preaching the truth. Not everybody in here is a preacher. Not everybody in here is a pastor, an evangelist, or even a teacher. But you can be a rope holder, and that's what we're to be. So evangelists are sent out by their church and by the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. And here's what I want to say. If you're really called of God, you're going to do it even if the church backs you up or not. You're going to go. You're going to preach. You can't stop. Even if the church says, well, we don't have any money for you. Fine. I'm still going to do it. Paul said that. He said, you know, whether I get paid or I don't get paid, I'm going to preach the gospel. But it's our job as a local church to recognize those who he is calling out from among us and to support them both with finances and with prayer. So we have something new happening here. We're not a very old church and we have young young people and we have a young ministry and we have a pastor who's not very smart. But when God calls someone, we need to recognize that. We need to not say, let's wait until they're actually in China before we decide to, to do something. Look, if they grew up here, we know them. And back in September of, September, Saturday, September 30th, I sent out an email and I made several announcements. I said, men, Saturday night, we're going to have an ordination for Joshua. That's your time to ask him questions. That was your time to say, Joshua, what's your calling? Joshua, what, tell us about yourself. Joshua, explain your calling to us. Not everybody came to that meeting. So I understand why months later, why, why are we doing this? You missed the meeting. See, this church doesn't have separate teaching times. It's all corporate. If you miss Wednesday, you miss part of what's going on. If you miss Monday night, you're going to miss part of what's going on. If you miss Sunday school, you miss part of what's going on. It all goes together. And those who were there that Saturday night and questioned Joshua, they understood exactly what's going on. They get it. They understand it. I would encourage you to just understand something. The word of God is our, our manual. We're just following God's word. And we're just, we're just trying to follow it the best we can and obey the word of God as we can and as we should. And then God will bless and he'll and He'll lead and guide us in the right way. I hope that we have more that are ordained out of our church. I hope that we have more that are sent out. And I hope that we have the means and the ability to support them and help them along the way. And I hope that we also recognize, and I'm, I'm saying this because Joshua isn't here today, Lexi isn't here today, but the day is coming when they will be leading or preaching or, or doing something 
And it's easy to say to a, about a 21-year-old, man, they're not very good at teaching or they're not very impressive. Well, first of all, it won't take much to pass me up, but I, I'm 51. So I've got a little more under the belt as far as teaching. But how do we send ours out to minister to other churches if we don't let them practice on us? This summer, a preacher that was here for the wedding a week ago Friday is from Kansas, and he's already invited Joshua and Lexi to come and run their entire vacation Bible school. Small church, but they've been there before, and he knows him. That's why he came all the way to the wedding. And what we want to do is make sure that we're equipping them and 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 monitoring them so that when they go to Kansas, they're an extension of Mountain View Baptist Church in Custer. That's what we're doing. We're trying to raise up another generation to go out and be preachers and leaders and pastors and evangelists for the sake of the world. That's the ministry of our church, not just to minister to Custer, but to minister around the world. That's what the Bible teaches. Some are supposed to stay home. Some are supposed to be sent out. So I hope that helps you understand and helps you to realize what's going on. What are we doing as a church, and why are we doing it? It's because the Bible says so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to preach and teach and understand and, and to know more uh, and to learn more. Help us to be faithful to your, your house, faithful to uh, what your word says, and to understand and learn more and be more equipped and more understanding of what we are supposed to do. Each every one of us has a role to play. We're not also going to be pastors and evangelists and teachers but we're all called to do something. So help us to recognize the position you've given us to play and help us to play that position faithfully to be where we're supposed to be so that others can be reached with the gospel. Help us to realize that if it's going to get done, it's your local church. That's the plan you left for planet Earth. And the lack of obedience from many churches is the reason why it's not happening. Help us to not be like that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.